Thank you for choosing to listen to Why I Stay. After this episode, be sure to check out our latest podcast series, Answers, a show where Pathios tackles common questions about the world's different religions, such as what makes something kosher, why is there a hell, and what are the names of God? You can find our entire catalog of podcasts, including Answers, at pathios.com or on your favorite podcast app. And now, without further ado, here's why I stay. Oh, well, when people hear my story, they will change their minds. <laughs> you know, they'll they'll believe me and they'll believe, oh, it's so terrible and they won't want it to happen to anyone else. And it'll be so easy. It was not easy. And there were a lot of people that not only did not really care about what happened to me, but started using it against me and totally bypassed like this horrible thing that I went through. This is Why I Stay, a show about faithfulness in the face of judgment, hurt, and betrayal. Today's guest is author and activist Taylor Schumann. Taylor is originally from Virginia. She had a fairly comfortable and easy life until she was shot by a stranger at her job in 2013. The struggles and experiences that happened after that made Taylor reevaluate many of her beliefs. She's been attacked and insulted for her evolving views so often that she's questioned her faith at times. She has a new book out called When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough, and I wanted to know what got her through all of her doubts and gives her the courage to keep telling her story. grew up with my two parents and my younger sister um, in a small town in Virginia. Very Republican. Definitely would have told you that if you're a Christian, you have to be Republican and vote for Republicans. Um, I grew up attending a Baptist church, really religious home. Both of my parents, people of faith. And so, yeah, we started going to church when I was really little and, you know, kind of became the family that was always at church. You know, if there were activities, we were doing them, Mm -hmm. children's youth group, leadership, worship team, all the things, you know, super involved. And it was overall a really positive experience. You know, looking back, like I definitely have that experience where I'm looking back thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did those things or I can't see how I believed those things and, you know, evaluating those things. But overall, it's where my friends were. It's where I felt accepted and I wanted to be there. And I'm really thankful for that because I think I sort of had, I don't want to say the ideal experience because there were obviously hard things, but I definitely had the experience where I was able to develop a really strong foundation of faith Mm -hmm. that has kind of held me together. Like, I remember in high school, like, you know, civics, government classes, Mm -hmm. and kind of sitting around the kids, and we would just be known to start the debates. And, you know, somebody said something, we were raising our hands in response. And yeah, people knew, like, I was, number one, I was the church girl, and number two, I was the conservative girl, and I was going to talk to you about it all day long. So yeah, that was probably like 100% of my, maybe a little less because I was also like the choir girl, so I could sing too. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was very loud about, I was just very loud in general <laughs> about the things I believed in. And, you know, of course, at the time, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was doing the good work, standing up for my beliefs. And, and I kind of, 
I don't think my goal was to be unkind or uh, without grace, but I, I know there were those moments, but I thought it was all for the cause. So like going through high school, college, all that, it wasn't too much of a struggle. Just faith was there. It was real. Yeah. And when I was around 16, we went through a really hard season with our church and ended up leaving. And I didn't really establish myself in another church until I went to college. It was definitely a season of church hurt. And so it took me a while to say, I really want to be back involved, like in a church family again. But thankfully, like my faith was still very strong. I think God was very kind to help me feel confident in Him and my faith and be able to separate Him from what had happened at church. Mm -hmm. So in college, I, you know, found friends who were Christians too and and was able to develop friendships there um, and and maintain um, my faith. So when you when you graduated high school, what, how did you stay home when you went to college? Yeah, my college journey was very exciting. I went to um, I did my freshman year at Liberty University, uh, just about an hour away from where I grew up, so still very close to home. Ultimately, I ended up transferring to Virginia Tech, which was just about thirty minutes from my family, so I was very close all four years. Was that before or after the shooting at Virginia Tech? It was after. So I was actually um, a junior in high school when that shooting took place. I didn't know my husband then, but he was there during that. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, really close to that. Like our school went on lockdown and, right. you know, there were people from my town that were, were there. But yeah, I went to college the very next year. Okay. So your college, you graduate. Uh, what, what's your plan? What are you going to do with your life? My husband and I got engaged the day before I graduated college, mm-hmm. and he was applying to pharmacy schools, so we were going to kind of take that year and figure out what we were going to do. I got a job um, working for social services back in my hometown, doing crisis assistance there, and that was kind of the plan. You know, let's take this year, and um, you know, I'll work, you apply to school, and we'll figure out where we're going. That spring... Um, I took a job at a local community college helping out with their distance education program, and I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. My husband got into school. We made plans to go um, and then got derailed a little bit by by a school shooting. Share what you want about that. You can just say, go buy the book, and that's good enough for me. Or you can talk a little bit about it if you want, what that was, the aftermath of it. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, like I said, working at community college. My desk just sort of happened to be in, in the lobby area. And yeah, a student came in with a shotgun um, on a Friday afternoon. And um, I didn't see him at first. I was talking to some coworkers and then realized people were kind of starting to run away, starting to, to scream. And I turned around and, and he was pointing the gun at me. He had tried to shoot me from behind. We didn't find that out until later, but he was unable to get the safety off the gun. So he he couldn't shoot me those first few times that he tried. When he saw people running away, he started to follow them. And that gave me a short period of time to figure out what I was going to do. And thankfully, there was a supply closet behind my desk. And I ran in there and he saw me. So he turned around and fired through the door. So the bullet went through the door and then through my left hand. And he... He shot another student. She survived as well. He came back and shot through the door a second time. And thankfully, that bullet missed me by just a couple inches. And um, yeah, the the whole event lasted about five minutes. 
And then uh, off-duty security guard actually heard about it on the, his police scanner. He was just out with his wife on their anniversary and decided to come to the school and, and was able to get him to surrender his weapon. And the police got there and took me to the hospital. And yeah, I had um, four surgeries that first year, a lot of therapy, a lot of physical rehab. And yeah, that sort of set me on, on the path that, that I'm on now. So did that, I'm sure it did, but how did that affect your view of God and Jesus going through that? I like to say before that, I sort of knew like the God of good times, the God of comfort, of, you know, normalcy, I guess. And I had a very strong faith, but I didn't really have to know the God of suffering, you know, the God who binds up our wounds. I wasn't very well acquainted with that God because I didn't have to be. I hadn't gone through anything like that before. And so I really had to learn this other side of him and develop my faith in that side. You know, it's so hard to look back on something like that in your life and say, I'm very thankful I went through that. (laughs) You know, that's very uncomfortable and I would not put that on anyone to do. But I think since it happened to me over the years, I've been able to see how thankful I am for things that have come out of it like that. And that is absolutely one of them because I I wouldn't be able to identify with the people around me that know that God. And I'm so thankful for how that's shaped me and how I talk to God, how I walk with him in daily life. What did it do to your politics in general? Not just not gun specific, but in general. Yeah, there were kind of a couple things I, I think that really helped um, set me on the path of, you know, transformation in, in that area. And the shooting was definitely one, but my politics did not change immediately. It took mm-hmm. probably about two years before I really decided like, wow, I'm, I'm not where I used to be. I believe very different things now. And so the shooting was one. And, and the second thing was that um, my husband and I moved away. We moved to a different town. We made new friends. We were exposed to people that had different experiences, so much more diversity than what I had grown up with, built community with people that were different than us, that had different ideas and beliefs. And so the two of those things really began to shape me as, you know, I was living with people who had different stories than I did. And God really used that to help me see like, well, I have to be concerned with things that are not what I personally have lived. And that's how I felt about gun violence with the people around me that hadn't experienced it for themselves. Mm. You know, I was sort of begging them to listen to my story, you know, see how this has affected me, see this awful suffering that people are dealing with. You know, what are you going to do about it? What can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And I think God just kindly nudged me like, well, if you want people to do that for what you've been through, then you need to be that for other people. You know, I think, you know, there's that saying, you know, you can't understand what you don't see what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really thankful for how community helped shape my politics as well. But I just kind of began really evaluating things and saying, this thing that Christians are doing, this sort of idolization of guns and gun rights, this doesn't fit 
with this God that I know, Mm -hmm. with this calling that, that I see in scripture for the world, this doesn't really fit. And I can't make it fit anymore. And it started to be really uncomfortable for me to ask a lot of questions and made people upset, still make people upset. But yeah, it was really came down to that. Like what I see us doing in the world does not match what I feel God asking us to do in scripture and how Jesus walked Mm -hmm. on the earth. So, you know, having a changed view is different than having a platform that you're speaking out about it. How did that develop for you as well then? I don't want to sound like too like business experty, but it really did kind of happen organically. I started being a little outspoken on Twitter, mm-hmm. occasionally on Facebook, but that was a little bit too scary. So I, I kind of found my people on Twitter and started there. One day, one of my tweets about, I, I cannot remember after which shooting it was, which says a lot in of itself, but I tweeted something about gun violence and my tweet ended up on the front page of the BBC website. Mm-hmm. And someone um, tagged me in a post on Facebook and they're like, Taylor, you know, I saw this on the BBC. Right. And I was like, oh, dang it. I've been found out. <laughs> I am I am a gun control person. I'm, you know. Right. And yeah, after that, I just realized I was finding a lot of purpose in using my experience, what happened to me to help people find a connection. I think, you know, if you haven't experienced gun violence It can just be an issue to you, something you think Mm -hmm. about occasionally, hear about on the news, and then you can put it aside. It's harder to put it aside when you know someone's story and you see their face and you can find a little bit of that personal connection, even if it's just somebody you, you know, quote unquote, know online. Um, And so I found a lot of purpose in that. I found a lot of comfort in getting connected with other survivors and victims because, you know, I tell people like you hear about shootings all the time, but it's actually very hard for us to find one another, but I could do that online. And yeah, I just, I started doing it and felt like, wow, like I really feel like God is using me in this way. And it just sort of happened. And, um, I, I think I asked online one day, you know, what, what keeps you from talking about gun violence or gun reform? You know, if you believe in it, what keeps you? And and overwhelmingly, the answer was, I just, I don't feel confident that I know enough. Yeah, I'm not educated enough. And I just thought, well, I can help with that. And and so that's what I started doing. And I hate to say I enjoy it because it's a, it's a hard thing to enjoy. Not really that, but I, I really felt like I was doing what right. I was supposed fulfilling, to be Fulfilling maybe? Yeah. Fulf- yeah. What were reactions to personal people, people you knew, your family, your friends you grew up with, as you start going through these evolutions? Did they listen? Were they angry? You know, I think a lot of the people I grew up with that, you know, were around my age have experienced their uh, evolutions as well. And and so I felt mostly accepted by those people. Um, my family was kind of a different story. My family remains very pro-gun, very pro-Second Amendment. They could not understand why, you know, I suddenly changed my mind on it. They had a really hard time with that. And saw me kind of changing my mind about some other things. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can relate. It's like you kind of start feeling like the black sheep, like you're going off the deep end. Um, Like I would be asked like, well, do you believe this like horrible thing? And I'm thinking, no, I'm still the same person. I'm just, you know, I've changed some of my opinions. I'm not, I'm still Taylor. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. and you go through a bit of identity crisis, I think, because other other people are are sort of putting that on you. Like, oh, you're not Mm -hmm. the same Taylor that we knew that I grew up with. You're totally different. 
yeah, that was a little hard. And and my family, they're very supportive of me, but they don't agree with me on many things, though we've been able to have some more constructive conversations. But yes, a a lot of times I just felt very isolated. What did it do to you when you start speaking out and the people who you're identified with for most of your life closely, now they hate? Like, what does that do to you on a faith basis? Yeah, I think it's hard because you definitely start feeling like, do we believe in the same Jesus? Like, Mm -hmm. how are we both saying we believe in God, we're both Christians, but we find ourselves in these completely opposite positions? (sighs) What was sort of like a crazy moment for me was, you know, I think when I first began speaking out about gun violence and sharing my story, I sort of had this idea in my mind, like, oh, well, when people hear my story, they will change their minds. <laughs> you know, they'll they'll believe me and they'll believe, oh, it's so terrible and they won't want it to happen to anyone else. And it'll be so easy. It was not easy. And there were a lot of people that not only did not really care about what happened to me, but started using it against me. Well, you're too emotional about it. Being a shooting victim doesn't make you an expert. You know, some really terrible comments that I would get and totally bypass like this horrible thing that I went through. Um, and so that that was really hurtful because most of that was coming from Christians. And I think that, you know, as believers who are told to be in community and fellowship with one another, I think part of that is listening to one another, listening to our stories, saying, well, I did not personally experience this, but you did. And so I care about that because this matters to you. So it matters to me. And instead, what I got was, well, that happened to you. That shouldn't affect how I live my life. That shouldn't affect my rights. That shouldn't affect what I like to do. And the end. Mm -hmm. And very little room given to this thing that is impacting hundreds of Americans every day, you know, tens of thousands a year, gun violence. Mm -hmm. We have found it really easy to isolate ourselves and forget that to be in community, to serve one another is to evaluate our our sort of personal convictions, our personal comforts, things that make us happy. And I didn't find a lot of that in the Christian space. I struggle with loving people over position. You know, it's so tempting to reduce someone to, in in this context, are you pro-Second Amendment? Are you pro-person? Are you pro-like whatever, Mm. whatever that ends up being. And then, you know, no matter where you fall on that, it's easy to judge someone based on that one view. And it's, it's super hard to maintain community and to maintain respect. And Mm -hmm. that's the challenge. I feel like when we say we're Christians, when we say we're followers, is to maintain that mutual love even across these crazy distances. And even if we don't agree, if I don't agree with you, you don't agree with me, to stop speaking to each other in love, that for me has been the biggest hiccup in my faith and challenge in my faith. And also the the biggest way I'm hypocritical, I feel like, in my personal life is because I'm so quick to be like, oh, that person believes this thing that I think is the stupidest thing I've ever ever heard. Therefore, they're stupid. And I have to fight that all the time. All the time I have to fight it. How is that for you? <laughs> How do yeah. you get past that, especially in, in the public eye? Yeah, I mean, I feel very similar to what you described. And, you know, you know, I wrote this book and I got my book contract right before COVID, you know, like the December before. And I feel like it was so hard to write this book during the pandemic because it was like what you just described went to level a million 
Everything was a debate. Everything was a fight. Masks, staying home, church. Are we meeting? Are we distancing? Then vaccines. Oh, and then we had an election in there. And so (laughs) it was so hard for me to maintain that attitude of love and grace toward Mm -hmm. people. And there were days I did not do it well, especially, you know, even with COVID, like my family and I did not, do not see eye to eye on so much of that. And I just felt like I was so surrounded by these extremes and I Mm -hmm. felt isolated. And I felt, I would say my biggest issue is probably the pride, Mm -hmm. like I'm doing the right thing and no one is listening to me and I know best and feeling very self-righteous in that Mm -hmm. way. And so feeling like other people were not doing the right thing and they're wrong. And, And I think a lot of what we see, especially like on Twitter is like, well, if you're doing the right thing, um, you know, it's okay to cut people off and separate and other. And of course, like there are times when you have to set boundaries. Like if someone is engaging in behavior that is dangerous to you, that is devaluing you, yes, we need to set boundaries. But a lot of times I think we do that in sort of the name of we're right. And that's very hard for me. You know, my pastor this past week at church, you know, kind of did a message about, you know, how often do we think well, if Jesus were here, he would do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we judge other people based on whether they're doing what we think right. Jesus would do. And, you know, we expect Jesus to offer us grace when we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. But if we want that for ourselves, we have to want it for other people too. Mm-hmm. The people we don't agree with, the people we think are doing the wrong thing. And that I felt was a very timely message for me to hear. So yeah, there are plenty of days that I get it wrong, that I don't do well, that I regret, or I'm ashamed to have to apologize to people. As I've launched this book and talked to people about it, you know, I feel like I'm just daily trying to adopt a posture of like humility, especially because, and I I think you would feel similarly, like I used to be on the other side Mm -hmm. and I changed. Yep. People spoke into me. They didn't give up on me. They didn't build a wall between us Mm -hmm. because I felt differently and sometimes even unkindly. People did not give up on me. They continued to speak. And thankfully, God opened my ears to help me hear. And so I can't give up on on people. Like, we change. We evolve. Like, I try to remember that in these times. You know, it very well could be me in, in that place that I think is so wrong. And Jesus loves them just like he loves me. No more, no less. He loves them. They are made in his image. And I'm all too quick to forget that. David Dark has this phrase that he tweeted a while ago um, about holding the door open for people. Yes. Yeah. And that's really what part of this podcast is. We have a lot of reasons and a lot of things that we do wrong to each other. And yet there's this unifying principle of grace and love and mercy Mm -hmm. that unifies us if we can stop and listen to that for a couple of minutes, you know? Yeah. Related question to everything you just said, and I ask this to everybody, what do you think is the difference between enabling a group to be wrong and influencing that group to become better? You know, I think for me, it has become like, am I, you know, if I'm talking to someone who I feel is expressing 
an opinion that is harmful, whether it's gun violence or something like racism, systemic mm-hmm. racism, injustice. Um, maybe they're talking about, you know, immigration is a big issue right now, refugees. If I'm having a conversation, say, about racism, and the people I'm talking to, someone, you know, says something that is pretty harmful about that topic. Am I letting it go to keep the peace or am I willing to say, well, maybe we could flesh that out a little bit. Can we talk about it? Can I offer a different perspective? It doesn't have to be in an angry, argumentative way, Mm -hmm. but just say, hey, I think maybe you're missing something here. Can I offer more information? Can we talk about that? I think silence is a lot of times enabling Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to things like that. Um, And I think people think they have to be willing to like have a debate about things. So it can be kind of scary to speak up and say things. And I don't think it always has to be a debate. I think we can offer a different opinion, a different way of thinking without it becoming, you know, a massive blown up argument. And we can use boundaries and set those in place. But yeah, I think for me, a lot of times that that silence, being unwilling to kind of step into the discomfort, mm-hmm. that's when I feel like I'm enabling why are you still a Christian? You know, I love Jesus. I can't quit. I can't quit Jesus. And I I think going through what I what I have, I don't think a lot of people would have blamed me if I would have said, I don't know. I don't know about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how could I go through something so terrible and, and believe in God? And the thing is, I experienced such intimacy with God that day of the shooting. Mm-hmm probably more than I have any day of my life. For me, there's no way I could come out of that day, the days that follow, and not believe in him and not feel him in my life. You know, he just, he won't let go of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I know too many wonderful people following Jesus and doing his work and being his hands and feet, despite, you know, maybe some of the bad things we know about church, the bad things we see in church from from believers, like kind of like what we talked about earlier a little bit, you know, and they just, they help me keep that faith and, and help me keep believing. But I mean, there were days I was like so angry and be like, well, I'm done believing in Jesus anymore. I don't believe in God. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Kind of through, it's like, you know, when you're like 12, and you run away from home, right? Like you get to the end of the street. <laughs> I think Jesus is always like, okay, I'll give you your here's, here's your backpack. Here's your yeah, lunch. I'll give you your backpack. You take a walk. You know, come back when you're ready. Um, and he's always so kind to, you know, receive me back from right. from my temper tantrum. Yeah, and I'm really grateful for that because I know that for other people they have not had that experience, mm-hmm. but for me, he just he just won't let me go. And even on the days where I'm unfaithful and have my doubts, I've found comfort and I've found acceptance that he lets me ask questions and lets me doubt and wonder. And yeah, that's very comforting to me. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's in the thick of running away, whether it be because of personal circumstances, because of the way they're being treated by, you know, other believers, uh, whatever it may be? Yeah, I think um, that that's okay to ask questions and to wonder and not feel it I think so often, especially if you grew up in church, like doubt was not a welcome posture to have in church. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I I felt like that sometimes. And that, you know, God will wait for you. There's no pressure. There's no clock counting down. You can take your time and wonder and doubt and work through those things. 
and he's with you while you do it. And he is patient and kind and, you know, can't wait to, you know, receive you when you're ready to kind of run, run towards him again. And that there are people that, you know, support you and love you and and have been through the same things. One scripture I think about so much is, you know, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And I think that's so true of seasons of doubting and and wondering, you know, our faith is not what saves us. It's Jesus, the person whom we have faith in. Hmm. And um, so even when your faith feels weak, Jesus is not weak. Thanks for the time. It was a great conversation. Where can people find you? Where should they buy your book? Follow you on Instagram, Twitter, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. You can get my book. It's called When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstores. Request it at your library. My website is taylorschuman.com, and there's links to all my social media there, but I'm Taylor S. Schumann on Twitter. That's my like most active social media. So definitely connect with me there if you want to. Why I Stay is a production of the Patheos Podcast Network, where we explore faith and gain understanding. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go to Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and don't forget to tell a friend about us. The way Taylor's faith has transformed over the last few years is probably familiar to many of us, but I love that she is using her struggles and lessons to help encourage others to make a difference. There were more than 20,000 deaths and 40,000 injuries from guns in America last year. Taylor's book, When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough, reframes the conversation about guns from platitudes and memes to a grace-filled dialogue. You really should go read it. I promise you won't regret it. Why I Stay is edited and mastered by Clinton Battles, and it was produced and hosted by me, John Osborne. If you're enjoying this series, consider checking out one of our other podcast offerings from Patheos, like From Sin to Saint. Some people might point to his anti-Nazi activism as the key thing for them. I mean, I'm, I'm compelled by that, but I think it's his theological and ethical underpinnings of his choices that really resonate for me. This willingness to die for his beliefs has inspired both religious commitment and religious violence. There were a couple of high-profile murders of abortion doctors and bombings of, of abortion providers in which the people who were convicted of the crimes identified Bonhoeffer as their inspiration. In this four-part historical exploration of the life and legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, join creator and host Josh Lash as he sits down with experts and walks us through the intriguing and complex life of this revered German theologian and martyr. Or consider checking out the Bible Brief podcast. So let's talk about for a second just what is it, what's in there, how do we just untangle all of this and figure out is it something we should even pay attention to? I think that this is the most, perhaps the most misunderstood book of scripture. Would you agree? Pretty much hands down. In this special three-part series, host Lori Denning and guest Dr. McLean Heward sort through some of the popular misunderstandings about the New Testament book of Revelation and examine what this ancient apocalypse might mean for us today. You can find From Sin to Saint, the Bible Brief podcast, and our entire podcast catalog on patheos.com or on your favorite podcast app. Check the show notes for helpful links and more information. Thank you.